Listening Dog Media. Kisses in the Dark, a podplay series from Mank May Productions and Listening Dog Media. With performances from Kyle Rowe, Pamela Mayos, Stephen Gidwani, Patrick Price, and Ryan Clayton. Also starring Rhiannon Clements and Con O'Neill. Written by Marty Ross. When the power suddenly clicked back on, the light of those dusty bulbs showed him and me like an x-ray, our nakedness entangled, scraps of clothing clinking wrinkled here and there. We were done by then. Our bodies like some ship that had burned on the high seas and now had its cold timbers washed on the beach. We drew apart. Myself, a little embarrassed. Him, well, who could guess? We dressed without speaking and began making our way back up those elegant depths, him clicking the lights off at our back. He closed and locked the great wooden folding doors, and suddenly we were back in the same old dingy hole of a place that I'd been living for the last eight months. Nothing to do but climb the stairs. The dusty, shadowy 4am stairs, my shut trap of a bedsit at the top of them. But on the way up, though he still said nothing, I felt him take my hand. At the bedsit door, fumbling for my Yale key, I finally found the nerve to look him in the face, but I still couldn't think of anything to say. He'll be home in an hour or two. Best get some sleep. Tom? Yeah, I suppose I'd better. How do you know? Oh. When he gets home? I'm a light sleeper, I've seen him. We're getting married. Are you? That's what I said yes to. Look of every day I met you. And my timing's a little off. Yeah. Mine too. What we feel, what we shared tonight, that makes its own downtime. I'll see you again. I'm lost. And soon. We can't. We will, you know we will. And then he was continuing up the stairs to his own place, except turns out now. It was all his place. And that grim little bedsit of mine seemed the very small hole to bury myself in. I dressed again, got into bed, and lay there not sleeping. Even the police sirens had stopped. I'd never heard Blackpool be as quiet as it was outside that window. Nothing but waves far off, 
like the rest of the town had just drifted off into those waves far off while we were busy down below. But then I heard the familiar sound of Tom tramping up the stairs and the same old Blackpool caught up with me again. Pretended I was asleep. You awake? Darling? Kate? I heard him undress. Climbed into bed alongside the curve of my back, wrapped an arm around me. I gave a dozy little murmur of warning. Sorry. Didn't mean to wake you. Rough night. Do you hear? The cops. Sirens and all that. Went on for hours. Went from Brett for the town. They wound up at the Pleasure Beach. Have we seen anything? Some kid killed up. Leighton Way, three cops injured, well, one cop blinded, another one. Well, they'll talk to security guards that they won't talk to other ordinary punters. One cop just vanished off the face of the earth. And one of the injured ones, they didn't know if it was an acid attack or what. He fell out of the fucking sea, apparently. And they said, I mean, they heard on over the radios, it was less like a man at that ground than some kind of lump of raw meat. One eye and a few teeth sticking out the top end of it. They had it on life support up the Vic Hospital, but, but these cops, cops telling us all this, they were freaked out. You could tell. Who were they looking for? They didn't fucking know. Tall and dark was all the idea they had. Told us to keep a lookout in case he came slinking in to hide among the rides. Then fucked off. Me and Fat Bob left standing there with a couple of heavy torches for protection. I went the usual wander around. Wondering all the time what I'd do if, if, if whatever psycho it was sprung out of me. Try, I tried to imagine killing him, hit, hitting him hard enough, thick end of that torch to crack off his skull to beat him down, bloody. I thought, I could do that. If I had to. And then I thought of you. You all alone here. And I got frightened all over again. Been all right, Kate. Even you here alone at night. What does that make me? What kind of man? Someone came after you, Kate. That's when I'd kill. Oh my love, the way I'd set the blood flying. If that ever happened, he slipped off to sleep thinking I was fast asleep already. But I'd heard everything. And hearing it, all that sweet heat left in me from John's embrace turned sour and cold. I lay awake for another couple of hours, then slipped free of his arms and made the closest thing I could to a silent breakfast. Dressed, stole out into a morning which had the outrageous cheek to be showing bright streaks above the sea like it was a day that might turn into something. She was, below, crossing the street heading for the tram shop. I'd not slept, of course, not a second. That sudden jolt of life threw me, threw me. Who for so long had been crammed, choked with the deaths of others. Pulse rhymed with their screams going down. 
awakening me as I'd not been woken in, oh, such a while. Of course, there had been others in the past, the long gone past to whom I'd reached out to something more than predator with his prey, but never many and never for long. And the deathliness in me had always killed what was alive there, swift as a snake's shift of temper. And I had hid from that in me which had killed so, there being so many simpler ways to kill, easier on my sensitive nature. Yeah, here it was again. That thought of a whole other self within me, a whole other life to lead, that phantom I should have known better than to chase yet again, and all that I've done could risk catching a tram, surely. I ran down. Caught the tram, sat down. Tried to think about frying all day breakfast instead of thinking about his touch down there in the dark. But as the tram started up, the thought of him wrapped itself around me all over again. And I relaxed into that thought, only to find myself sitting right next to the man himself. Call you. You don't mind me sitting down with you, do you? Free world? No, it's not. Here I am. I'm going to work. Where are you going? I'm going to make you a better offer. What? Than work. I take it you've got a phone. So? Call in sick. I'm not sick. No. What you are is too damn alive and healthy to be slaving your day away in that dismal cafe. Spend it with me instead. Listen, last night... Last night we were both lost. Lost in the dark. This morning, I don't know about you, I know exactly where I want to be. I wasn't lost. And I think maybe I'd been looking for something like that a long, long time. Then find your phone, make that call, and let's see what else we can find. I made that call. We got off the tram and he asked if I'd had breakfast. I told him I'd barely let a nibble past my lips for fear of waking Tom. He told me breakfast was nothing to be frightened of. And he walked me across the prom to the Albert and the Lion. Inside the pub's genteel sprawl, we found ourselves in a secluded nook near some glass doors, looking out onto the seafront. There was a silent TV screen on the wall nearby. As he went off to the bar to order our two slap-up breakfasts, I watched some local news report, following the details by way of subtitles. It was the stuff Tom had been mumbling about in the wee small hours. Some kid killed up Leighton Road, two other kids missing, with the police trying to track them down. They flashed up a couple of grainy photographs, looking like police mugshots. One of them, I couldn't be sure, even looked a bit like, was it? That kid from yesterday. On a television screen by the bar, I saw my previous night's adventures had made the morning news. One policeman vanished, though the curious fact of his empty clothes having been found at the scene was mentioned. 
the police woman who had pursued me in the car had been blinded, apparently. The car and its onboard camera destroyed. Another policeman hospitalised with a head injury. And the last of them, the one I had at least brushed with my lips. Well, the allusions to his condition were tastefully oblique. But it's safe to suppose whatever bleeding lump was lying there on a hospital ventilator wouldn't be identifying me any time soon. Yet as I carried our two coffee mugs back towards the table, I had to acknowledge I might have got a little reckless. Reckless and greedy, angry, needful, frustratedly needful. And I, I had struck out, staring awake the normally comatose local police. And though there was little, really, for the likes of myself to fear from our friends in blue, their attention could, to say the least, cramp my style. The most sensible thing might be to leave Blackpool, find myself a fresh hunting ground, for there is always fresh hunting ground. The world heaves with human life, however many years and plagues be set it, yet there is only one of her too. And as I reached our table, discreetly blocking a view of the TV screen, I knew I was in no hurry to run, or not at least to run from her. What was that? I wondered as I sat to her why I had begun the move I was currently making. Did I have her in mind from the start? The realms and our intimacy as a, a bolt hole, a hiding place, should matters take such a turn. There. On the telly. It looked like that kid. Kid? Yesterday. Just flashed the photo up. But you know how we were joking last night when all those sirens were going about the kid you thumped in the street yesterday? Oh, him. It looks like he's the prime suspect. Suspect? For whatever kind of wild and weird thing happened up the north end last night. Oh, you think so? Maybe I should have hit him harder. Well, let's hope you don't get a second shot at him. Seems like he's running around naked. Does it? It was just there in subtitles. They think they found his clothes in the Leighton graveyard, all bloodstained. He must have dumped them, thinking they'd incriminate him. <laughs> what a time. I've always felt at home in it, haven't you? Yes and no. Last night, those sirens going, a definite no. Afterwards, with me. And here. Right now. Oh, that's more of a yes. God help me. Huh. You think you need that kind of help? When I'm paying for breakfast? Breakfast is one thing. But the other day, Tom bought me this. See? This ring costs a lot more than a Weatherspoon's full English. Which means what? He bought you? Well, I know he made damn sure I saw him buying it up front. So I'd think twice before letting all that money go down the drain. On a cheaper date, at least. Not necessarily. Let me show you. Show me how. Ever been to Blackpool? <laughs> I live in Blackpool. But ever been round it like you're supposed to? More like you're on holiday, not trapped here for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's a long time since I went round it like that. Me too. Let's do it today. Let's do the Blackpool thing. 
the things you're supposed to do in Blackpool but never get around to doing when you live here. Let's have a day of living here like like children, like runaways with nowhere better to run. Like, uh, well, like today was a whole of our lives and we had the sense to know the world's nothing but a funfair next to a wild, crazy. And then let's see where we want to go next. But first, here comes breakfast. So we ate breakfast. And then I let him lead me out onto the prom. My hand slipping into his. A big chunk of my heart keen to see where we might go. We ran first to Madame Tussauds, of course. It wasn't what it had been in the old days, as Blackpool's very distinct Louis Tussauds. Now the waxworks was largely a temple to bad television, filled with state-of-the-art simulacra of a square-eyed nation's most cherished non-entities. The one section that retained a touch of traditional charge was the exhibit commemorating the traditional English seaside holiday. All worlds of music and effigies of old-school comedians and blow-ups of naughty postcards, images of fat ladies in bathing suits and husbands shriveled as gentles shrunk in cold water. The jokes below all innuendo in the absence of desire. Through a red and white striped curtain like the cloth of a circus tent, we stepped into... The mirror maze. Pillars all around you. Mirrors between the pillars. Pillars reflected in the mirrors. So all we saw at every turn was the infinity of pillars and the infinity of ourselves wandering among them. I spun about, half laughing, half freaked out, finding my eyes shifting between all of his scores of reflections. Were the reflections? Simple reflections. Well, he looked all smiles here. A mate sharing a good time with me. Well, in those mirrors over there, he seemed to be studying me across some great distance of sorrow and loss. And in this mirror, he was young. Younger than me, maybe. A wild-eyed boy. Something feral out of a forest. And in these others, showed a face as old as some grey mask like they were in some ancient play. All stony and cracked at the edges. And that made me think of my dream. My dream of him. And the molten mask. The Hall of Mirrors. And I wondered if this wasn't all something my dream had told me. Warned me. It was going to happen. It wanted to happen. And even, who knows, making it happen which made the mirror images spin about me faster and wilder till I wasn't sure if all of those Kate McCobbs was the real me, the Kate that was thinking these thoughts. And the thought of that made me lose my balance, slip into the grasp of one of these John Tusks spiralling around me. He caught me, led me away from the mirrors, out through that red and white flap. I should have known. The face I show in mirrors isn't always a face ideal for public display. It's in the nature of the thing I am that certain mirrors uncage it. Which of my several faces she actually saw, I couldn't guess, but she began to slump on a quarter and catching her held her close enough that my instinct for such things could detect her soul flickering, flitting within both my grasp and her shiver, like a small white bird in a tight glass bottle. I discerned 
In those restless flutters, the pattern of a whole life, at least in blurred fragments. I found myself remembering. For no reason I could think of, a day in my childhood where our tiny back garden was wild with snow and a mad dog got in the lane and tore our cat into. And I stood over that red flower in the snow and shot myself, thinking it were beautiful. And I saw myself with my first lover, Jim Hobbs, a teenage fumbler with the inflated ego, him delving clumsily in and out of me while I clung to him, wishing for something better on a rug in the corner of a park otherwise filled with broken prams and rusted bicycle wheels and crisp wrappers in nettle beds. I looked up, saw the stars high over Preston and there were a hundred thousand eyes looking at me, glinting like the eyes of a cat. That abortion, God help me, I remembered the bleeding and panging afterwards, the bleeding into the bath water, thinking I would drown in the sorrow, the loneliness. That day I got lost on holiday in Greece, dizzy with heat and dehydration, and a valley opened before me. The rocks golden, the sea bright blue at the far end. I wandered down rattling pebbles and saw something perched on one of the rocks just above the water. It was a mermaid. Shimmering tail and all. And it slid off the rock at the same moment I saw it splashed out of sight below. And I thought, for a moment, she looked just like me. I remembered a rainy night in the cafe on the pram, there in Blackpool, telling Tom that story. And oh, how he laughed at me, spooning up the last dregs of cappuccino froth from his cup. Nearby a grey stairway descended to nothing signposted. I steered her to it, promising her a little peace and quiet. It was quiet down there, certainly. Some kind of basement he'd steered me into. A dusty grey place stretching away into a darker grey nothing. All kind of alcoves and little platforms in between silent of the canned music playing above. My head steadying a little. I asked him where this was. This? That's the old chamber of horrors. Really? Where did the horrors go? Acid bath murderers and Dracula and Frankenstein ceased to be as much of a draw as TV celebs. Horrors so often shoved in the basement got kicked out entirely. For the sake of the family atmosphere. It's not completely empty. What are those wire frames things? Oh, those. Skeletons. Skeletons? Closest things to skeletons waxworks have got. You can always reuse the wax if you scrape it off one wire frame, melt it down and mold it onto another one. And what? Leave the old wire frame standing about naked? As you see so naked like something a nuclear blast would leave behind are we supposed to be down here of course not they should keep it locked up well maybe they were assuming nobody would want to wander down an old dark basement yeah well they don't know the dark like we do hey 
maybe we've wandered into one basement too many. Maybe we're just getting started. I shouldn't have done what I did with you last night. Did it all the same. And I did it with you and here we are now. Someone will catch us. No, they won't. Won't they? The boulder kind of rule breaker never gets caught. Take it from me. And look at all these empty alcoves and shadowy corners that have left us. Frightening. Frightening? The thought of what I might be up for. Down here with you. Show me. We made love right there. In a dark little gap where Jack the Ripper or the Frankenstein monster must have once stood. Our clothes rumpling among the cobwebs. All we fumbled naked, making the necessary connections. Clumsy at first, then suddenly tender. Soon ferocious. Enough to make one of those nearby wire skeletons topple off its pedestal, dropping lightly onto the dusty floor. The others watched, with eyes of blind wire. And still, he wouldn't kiss me. Not on the lips which only made that lovemaking all the wilder like we were beasts in the heat and no time for sweet nothings. Afterwards, we dressed and generally got ourselves together. Stole back up those stairs and out of the waxworks. He took me to the tower, paid us into the ballroom, where we sat and ordered one of those fancy cream teas sandwiches and cakes on a willow pattern stand. We got our breath back, watching a lot of the sweet old codgers one, two, three and around the dance floor, to the sound of a man in a white dinner jacket, pumping the mighty Wurlitzer up on the stage. And my head spun faster by far than any of those geriatric waltzes. The tacky grandeur of the ballroom with its gilded balconies and the chandeliers and swirling painted ceilings, stretching out above me like a dream made solid. It was amusing, certainly. All those old bones wrapped up in wrinkled flesh, polyester casual wearing frocks and slats and Pringle V-necks, spotty bald heads glinting in the gleam of the chandeliers, dancing the waltzes and tangos that might once have been the essence of decorous passion, but which here could only be a slow shuffle towards senility. And uh, unlooking, she and I, still a shimmer with the sweet violence of fucking eating our genteel lunch and sipping our tea and locking our hands under the table. Our spirits wound tighter still. We even got up to dance, an approximation of tango holding one another close as none of the RPs around us could manage. She looked on me with a dizzied happiness I might even have been close to love. And how did I look to her? I, made of hatred and horror. What mask did I wear? What hall of mirrors was I lost in now? Scaring myself with thought of the mask it might be. Was that love he looked at me with? Some baffled, urgent version of it anyway. Like a man who had been locked in the darkest cellar, suddenly stumbling up. Up into a light that hurt his eyes even as it burned the chill out of his heart. Straight from that dance, he whisked me clean to the top of the tower. We stood on that floor of glass that lets you see the drop below. The drop down past those miles, it looks of mesh, rust, 
red girders to the prom below. You could pretend you were flying, or even caught in the first split second of a fatal happy plunge. He stood close. Blackpool spread below us, around us, the shores, the three piers, the stretching one way of the Irish Sea and the other way of the buildings upon buildings. The sea themselves. From the winter gardens and the big hotels and amusement arcades to the endless miles of neat little houses for the retired and the trying to struggle by. And there, directly below, across the road and the tram tracks lay the comedy carpet, set out on the prom. And I looked down so steeply at my memory from just a day or two before of Tom proposing to me right there and me. Well, I said what I said, just like I were doing now and what I was doing. And if I knew, suddenly sharper than ever, I had said the wrong thing that day. I knew with the same kind of sting that standing where I was now was just as wrong. A wrong I was doing to Tom anyway. Suddenly I was turning away, hurrying. See-through floor or no see-through floor for the lift. John was chasing me, but I hopped into it at the back of a few other people and the door slid shut between me and him. Kate. Out of the lift. Still feeling like there was a glass floor and 500 foot drop under my feet, I hit the street. Hurried out onto the prom. Started running for the south end, but home, for a door I could shut on him for some space to think. For Tom, still fast asleep and snoring off his night shift. Tom, my husband to be, I suppose. What else was there to be running towards that way at least? Looking over my shoulder, I could see John following me. Not running, he didn't seem the sort to lose his head like I was losing mine, but walking after me with the kind of firm stride it was hard to outrun without looking like a complete hysteric. And the thing was, of course, that though every little sprint and gasp for breath at a traffic light, I was dreaming of feeling his nakedness wrapped around mine, of having that wild surprise he had in him burrowed deep in the tight, timid clench of my life. I tried to get further and further away from him, and all the time I wanted to turn around and embrace him and say, go on, make me life as crazy as it was last night, as it's been today. Give me a sick note for the rest of my life from frying eggs and stewing teas for pensioners. Spare me the brutal safety of Tom. But what sort of woman would do a thing like that? Who would have the nerve? Not the sort of woman I was supposed to be. And so I ran on, finally, by the crazy golf course just short of the Pleasure Beach. Just as I was about to begin my last exhausted sprint, I felt his hand slip into mine, dragging me around. I have to, have to, after what? Run back to him for another punch in the mouth. What do you know about that? He left a little blood on my shirt last time. I'm sorry about that. What the fucking's made up for it? Not entirely, but stick with me and we'll sort something else out. I can't. But you already have. So why not carry on? Because this... This isn't me. Oh, no? But is it supposed to be me anyway? Then you don't know yourself like I do. What? What the fuck? Who the fuck are you to tell me who I am? Someone holding on to you from a position of loneliness like you couldn't believe. 
lonely enough to know the loneliness in you and have a decent guess at what it might need, which has to be something better than running home to the next punch. You don't understand about Tom and me. Do you? And if you do, the question is begged. Why? Why what? Why am I with him? Why is anyone with anyone else? You wind up where you are and you make the most of it. Don't. Stop it. Think. Think what's possible between us. Come. Come with me. Where now? The zoo? Away. Far away. Far from here. Far from Blackpool. What? Why not? There's a train station as sure as there's a zoo, or a tower, or a so-called pleasure beach. Change at Preston and the world's our oyster. What the hell are you- That pill's a barrel of fun, but maybe I'm over to a break from it and would appreciate your company. I can't do that. I have a life here. I've seen the life you have here. Come on, catch a train. You're crazy. And I've seen how crazy you're prepared to be so long as I'm keeping you company. I've been crazy today. I was crazy last night, but I am aiming to be sane by dinner time at home with my fiance. That hovel with him, that's no home. Hey, turns out you own the place. Don't go knocking the bricks and mortar. Yeah, I own the place, but it doesn't own me. I pay others to keep the place standing, which means I can walk away and come back any damn time I please. Quite a luxury, I'll concede. But I'm more than happy to share it with you. Luxury? Now I wouldn't know what to do with luxury. Let me teach you. By God, you bastard. I could kiss you here in the street. Kiss me. It's more than that you're after, not here. By the crazy golf. Kiss me. You're not so keen on that, are you? Not on the lips, anyway. I'll kiss you all the same on the lips, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Shut up. Kate. There. That didn't hurt, did it? No. Come on. Let's... Oh, shit. The tram over there, coming into a stop. What about it? There. Standing up to get off. It's him. I think it's him. I, I can only see the back of him. But yeah, he's getting off. Come on. Where are we going? Up the street this way. The Pleasure Beach? He works there. Just come with me. Again. He had my hand. We were hurrying on, up alongside the jumble of buildings at the front of the Pleasure Beach. Ticket booths, Lush Factory, Pizza Hut. All the time I was looking over my shoulder to see if Tom was following us up the pavement. Couldn't see him. Had I seen him in the first place? Though even at this dead end of the autumn season, there was still a fair number of people milling about. But still, I was clutching John's hand tight as he was clutching mine and darting forward just as fast. Ahead, a familiar bolt hole, the fiberglass gods are looming above its roof. A few isolated souls screaming on the Big Dipper beyond Ripley's, believe it or not. I dragged her in, rather enjoying our sudden flight. For what had I to fear from such as him? 
inside the familiar jumble of authentic tribal artifacts in inauthentically gaudy settings. Dinosaur bones and mammoth teeth, waxwork effigies of sideshow freaks, witchcraft impedimenta, indoor graveyard wreaths and images shaped from human hair and cobwebs, shrunken heads. Even a mention for the Hungarian tigress Elizabeth Bathroy, who murdered, we were told, more than 600 victims in far less time than I'd had in hand. I was fond of this place. Not TV friendly like Madame Two Swords, but with a whiff like mouldering candy floss of older, sweeter days by the sea. Tate wasn't really in the mood. Every flit of a fellow customer around the nearby corner, every reflection in a distorting mirror, every glimpse of a robot or a sacrificial idol in a shadowy corner making a flinch tighter against me. I fear it might be the oath who put a ring on a finger. I tried to tell him how frightened I was. How hard a fallout there might be for me if Tom truly found out. How swift he could swing from taking you for granted to being so possessive he'd well, split that lip a couple of days before wasn't half as bad as it could get. But John, he seemed almost to be enjoying it. Like a game. Showing me around all this weird crap in there, like a kid emptying its toy box across the floor. Until we came to the Driftwood Horse. Where had it come from? Had it been there on my previous visits and had something missed it? browsing all the other exhibits nearby. An easy thing to have overlooked, I suppose. A glass case with a model inside of a horse. A long way short of life-size, a horse constructed out of ragged strips of driftwood. It was blind eyes, I suppose. Hard to shape out a dead wood, but then it opened its eyes all the same and looked at me. And I wasn't there anymore. Now in that cramped little museum, I was thrown flat and naked on a great dark expanse of rough sand and jagged grass. I knew where I was. I knew that sound gathering in the air, that din of sea and darkness sweeping towards me. Knew it? I remembered it. I was no stranger either to that shape forming out of the salt spray and shifting blackness at the outer edge of what was visible. A shape swirling up high and vast as a storm rising or a corner of the heavens falling. Shape of a beast, a vast and elegant beast gathering its strength and then plunging my way. Didn't it always... It was on the floor, twitching about, eyes flickering, rolling over white. Epileptic fit? That's what it looked like. I dropped to my knees at his side, touched my hand to his face, not sure what else to do. There was a last convulsion and then he lay still, looking up at me. More lost and helpless than I think I'd ever seen another human soul. Suddenly, the only thought in my mind was getting him out of there, into the fresh air. And if Tom was stood right outside flexing his fists and we had to push right past him, fine. To hell with him. I helped John struggle up and out onto the prom. 
I watched him discreet from just around the angle that a pleasure beach entrance. When I glimpsed him first, just by chance, through the tram car window, I thought for a moment about leaping right off, rushing straight across, smacking his head right off the fucking wall and her. Well, I don't know what the fuck I'd do with her. Romping along, hand in hand with him, like young love on a fucking Valentine's card. <laughs> I saw him go in that place, like, what? Like fucking tourists, weekenders. <laughs> and maybe it should have charged straight through after them, crippled him along all those mummified babies in glass cases or whatever the fuck it is he got in there. But I thought, no. Get your breath. Wait. <laughs> You gotta take him on air on the fucking prom, so many other fuckers milling about to stop you. No. Wait your moment, Tom. Wait your fucking moment. I saw him come out. Something was wrong with him, like like she was having to hold him up, like he'd taken something in there, which he maybe had. Weird fucking creep, skulking in crack of dawn like you see him do. Or maybe he was just scared of pickle babies. They crossed the road, the tram lines aiming for the rail overlooking the water. The sky beyond turning a wild red with the dying of the day. You've been listening to Kisses in the Dark, a podplay series from Mankmade Productions and Listening Dog Media. With performances from Kyle Rowe, Pamela Mayos, Stephen Gidwani, Patrick Price and Ryan Clayton. Also starring Rhiannon Clements and Con O'Neill. Written by Marty Ross. Hold up. 